quick thank you to our sponsors for making this podcast possible. They keep this show free to listen to. This episode is sponsored by Byheart. Byheart features a patent protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. Their formula includes the most abundant protein, alpha-lac, found in breast milk, as well as lactoferrin, the number one protein found in colostrum. Byheart is an easy-to-digest formula, which includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio like an early breast milk, making it great for a newborn's digestive system. Byheart is the only U.S.-made infant formula made with certified clean ingredients, including organic, grass-fed, whole milk, not skim. What it doesn't have is soy, corn syrup, GMOs, or palm oil. Curious about Byheart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com forward slash podcast. Use code PEACE for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. I came to parenting with everything I learned in childhood. Yelling, punishing, controlling, and shaming. After trying almost every method, I found connected parenting and was totally shocked when empathy, listening, doing away with rewards and consequences, and being a safe place actually worked. It moved the behaviors of my children and it felt good, especially with my very strong-willed and highly sensitive oldest daughter. This podcast was born out of the idea of sharing the message and helping parents find more peace in a modern world. Welcome to the Peace and Parenting Podcast. So glad you're here. Welcome to the Peace and Parenting Podcast. I'm Michelle and I'm so glad you're back. And I have a lovely guest, Mr. Chaz, who has an awesome Instagram, who has great videos. And I'm so glad he's here to share his wisdom. So welcome to the show. So happy to be here. Um, And hopefully I can help some people today and expand perspective, share a new tool. Yeah, here to help. Tell us a little bit about you, just in general, who you are and how you came to this work and... Anything else you want us to know? I'll try to give the um, short version. So I started off as, well, maybe the medium version, but I started off as a Montessori teacher um, and I had the heart to do the work and knew I was raising the next generation of humans, but I didn't have the know-how on actually how to do it. And it really stressed me out. And, you know, I had concerns of like, I'm a, am I hurting more than I'm, am I'm helping? And I'd go into situations of conflict and and seem to make things worse. Um, and so I kind of went out on this journey to find a better way. And there was, you know, a lot of kind of the traditional ways of teaching of the rewards and punishment were, you know, all around me. And I kind of knew that there had to be a better way than this kind of fear-based coercion, you know, based teaching that we were doing. And so in my journey, I, I practiced, I made plenty of mistakes on the way and grew, 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 and kind of got a reputation for being able to work with the, you know, kids who challenged other teachers. And so teachers kind of started to just ask questions in the break room, just kind of casually like, Hey, like I have a challenge with this child. Can you help me out? And I began to offer my recommendations and my advice just kind of casually and they would come back and be like, Oh my goodness, like this has been, you know, life-changing. This has completely changed the day for this child and the day for me, I need more. And that's when a light bulb went off where, but if I could impact teachers, I knew that my impact could be exponential. Yeah. And, and so I started to do that. And I did that for 
some years and I was in charge of the education portion of 10 different schools and, you know, did a lot there in terms of training and supporting teachers and really, you know, some people would, uh, consider what I did as like storm chasing is kind of like an analogy here a lot of times, but I always like to think of myself uh, like the Olivia Pope of classrooms, (laughs) whenever, you know, there was a challenge or something that was, you know, happening in the classroom um, that the teacher or the director couldn't figure out or handle. And um, they would call me and I would show up and I'd have to kind of assess the situation and uh, figure out how we could move forward in a way that would be, you know, productive and healthy for everyone. So everyone can be successful in the classroom. You're like Uh, the fixer. You're going to come in and fix it. Yeah, I somewhat, like somewhat. I like that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I, I was you know, doing that for a while. And then the pandemic happened. Teachers went home, kids went home. Mm-hmm. Um, and just through really listening to parents, you know, definitely saw how they were struggling, becoming the 24-7 everything for their children. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as I was listening to them, I and, and the challenges and you know, all the things that parents are struggling with, I felt I had something to provide some insights, some things to share that I learned all along my journey where I made plenty of mistakes myself. And so I could really empathize with the struggle of like not knowing what to do and feeling like you're ruining this kid. And um, um, so I started to just make videos on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, now, I, you know, I travel, I do speaking and I do one-on-one coaching, I do coaching for teachers, really all to try to just support the caregivers, the adults around the world caring for children. So amazing. I think that's where the big impact is too. It is with the kids, right? I mean, that makes, like you said, you can create this little village of little people that you're helping, but when you can get to the caregivers, I think that makes the huge impact. Yeah, definitely. Because it all starts with us. Yeah. Um, And there is a lot of work that, you know, we often have to do. And and a lot of times we're not even conscious of it because, you know, we're just kind of running the the script that we were given um, the way that we were raised. And we just kind of operate in our default until we become conscious of kind of the patterns that we've learned and conscious of whether or not it's something that's helpful for us or healthy for us or something that isn't so helpful. Um, yeah. And that's often the hardest part is that first step of recognizing, Hey, I want to do something different here, but that's when the journey starts. Yeah, I think. And that's what we want to talk about is breaking those generational cycles and what that looks like. And, And I actually feel like when I first started doing that for myself, it was like a drug for me. I was so addicted to, oh my gosh, I can change my life. It felt like this inspirational place that I wanted to keep being in. And I think that's if you if people can get there, it becomes this incredible place to really change your whole world. Yeah. And one of the most important things I'm going to say on this whole podcast, and I'm glad I'm going to say in the beginning, because as you know, people who are listening might, you know, get that feeling I'm talking about. Oh, man, I'm not there yet. Is that perfect doesn't exist 
There is no mountaintop of perfect parenting that you'll ever get to, that anyone gets to. It doesn't exist. I say avoid being a perfectionist, be an improvenist. The goal isn't to be perfect every day. The goal is to improve a little every day. Your parenting did not start with you and it will not end with you. You know, I like to think about it like kind of iPhone generations. You know, (laughs) this with the... parenting and teaching that's based off of all kind of the brain science that we've been learning over the, you know, past decades. It's like new technology, right? How do we take this new technology and apply it and use it? And, you know, for those who is, you know, maybe you're the first generation of, of parents who've really been conscious and aware about kind of your own growth and your own role to play in this and not just focusing on the child's behavior and what they're doing wrong and you're being reflective and trying to improve and add new tools into your your tool belt. That's a huge innovation, right? That's like, you should be, you know, proud that you're even starting the journey, right? You're like the first iPhone, pat yourself on the back, celebrate. Yes. Great. You're, you know, this is the huge step, And it's, you know, it can be really difficult, especially when you came from a family of, you know, pagers, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, and some of us, you know, and and maybe you came from a a family of of blackberries or or the rotary phone or like, you know, we all came from different, you know, places and backgrounds and experiences growing up, but pat yourself on the back that you are that first kind of iPhone generation using this new technology, but it's not, and and, and you're going to, throughout your lifetime, you're going to continuously update and improve and get better and get better, but it's not going to end with you, right? You're not going to get to the perfect iteration of, you know, you're still the first iPhone, right? And so we can't expect being the first iPhone that it's going to be perfect and that's going to be perfect for generations forever. But what will happen is that your children will take the lessons that you've learned and they will build off of that. And there will be another generation. You're not just raising your children, you're raising your children's children. So they're going to build off of that. And then, you know, your kids won't be perfect either. And they're going to, you know, mess up, make mistakes, but they're going to learn and grow. Especially if you've taught them, you've been that model for learning and growing and how to make mistakes. And they're going to build off of that. You know, we're continuously improving from generation to generation. So don't get so bogged down. Yeah. And breaking every generational cycle, every unhealthy pattern of behavior uh, well, I think- right now today. Well, of course, I think you're so, so, so right. And I think there's a lot of parental pressure to be perfect. And there's a lot of societal pressure to be perfect and to have perfect kids. And I think that it all goes back to this idea too, is that if you don't have perfect kids, if your kids aren't behaving or they're not doing the right thing, sometimes you, you somehow you are judged and you feel as if you're failing and you're doing it all wrong. And that if we can let go of that paradigm too, that no. This is just normal life stuff. Kids are going to throw tantrums and throw sand and hit their brother. And like, that's so normal. If we can normalize that part too, I think it'll let us let go of that pressure of trying to be perfect. Yeah. It's impossible. We're human. We are all human and we will never, ever be perfect. Yeah. And, And, you know, going back to like that, you know, being able to, 
release ourselves from that judgment or or sometimes even perceived judgment. That's one of those things where, you know, most of us, we were raised being conditioned to, to use the judgment of others to dictate the value of ourselves. Yeah. So, you know, now we've kind of have this, this mental model growing up and, you know, it's, it's only good if the adult says it's good or the teacher says it's good and use our approval and our good jobs as a way for you to know if you're doing the right thing. Right. right? And so now, you know, we're adults and we've kind of gotten this model and we have internalized these things. And so now when someone else doesn't judge or someone judges us or doesn't approve of something, you know, that we're doing it, we have maybe a harder time with it because we weren't, you know, taught or modeled to, to really listen to our own internal compass. Right. Right. And use that to guide us. Yeah. Um, instead, we've been trying to use all these external validators to guide us. And or invalidators where, you know, punishment has told us or ridicule or shame has told us, you know, don't listen to yourself because you have to fit in this box or what you did was wrong. So therefore you're wrong. And so then, like you said, you can't grasp your own internal understanding of yourself. Yeah. 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 And a big part of that is you know, being aware of our emotions and accepting our emotions and, mm-hmm. you know, being able to talk about them and, and learning how to work through them, right? Not run away from them, not shove them down. Yeah. And when we do that and we, you know, shove down our emotions, it has a lot of negative impact on us. You know, we shove it all, shove it all down. It has health impacts on us. Yeah. We just, just because we ignore our emotions doesn't mean they go away. And so, you know, emotions, they're just information from the body, right? They're messages from the body. And instead of ignoring those messages from our own body, we can learn to listen to it. We can learn to deal with our emotions. We can learn to regulate our emotions. We can learn to express our emotions in a healthy way. We can learn all these things. Now it's tough as adults because we spent so much time learning the opposite, right? So there's a lot of unlearning we have to do. And there's a lot of just, just the, the, the lessons and and all the, all the shame and all all our experiences. We're young. We've internalized those things. Those things are part of our body. And so when we start to unlearn or do something different, it can feel um, it can feel really difficult and overwhelming and, and, and conflicting because it's not our default. It's not what we're used to. Uh, uh, I like how you say that it can feel conflicting. I think it really does. Right. It feels like, oh my gosh, I'm actually doing the wrong thing. Yeah. I'm actually yeah. reinforcing bad behavior or I'm indulging my child and they're, they're whining or whatever it is because you feel like this is wrong. Right. Because when I grew up, I got yelled at when I uh, whined or, yeah. if I, you know, if I threw something or if I hit, I was hit. Right. And so even, you know, you you hear this going on like any one of these like social media posts when like there's, you know, a child who's having a hard time or to cry or expressing any kind of emotion that's uh, creating some kind of inconvenience for the adults. You know, you you see people's unconscious showing you see people you know and they'll say it out loud you know 
not conscious of, you know, what they're actually saying, but we'll say, oh, when I, if I would have done that when I grew up, I would have been such insert, you know, coercive, you know, shaming, whatever strategy here. Right. And that just goes to show how much like our, how we were responded to impacts how we respond to children. So it's like, oh man, I just like, I was hit. Like I want to, I feel like this child should be hit or I was yelled at or I was forced into isolation and ignored for the day or I was love was taken away from me when I did this. So I need to do that to this kid. Well, that's it. I had this whole thought the other day. I like like how you bring that. I have to do that to this kid. Like I almost feels like we want to retaliate because we were retaliated against. Like somehow we have got that in our DNA. Now there's this, somebody is wounded and now they have to be justified. They have to be taught. They have to be told they have to be inflicted pain upon. And I think that's this deep thing in our society that leads us to punishment or, or shame. There are always going to be these external things in our world, these external factors in our world that trigger us, you know, whether it is, you know, someone us being late or us waiting for someone or someone giving us a look or someone saying something that we don't like or hurts our feelings or whatever, that, you know, being triggered and and feeling like almost reactionary in our body and having a reaction is normal. And that's not something that you can, you know, just gentle parent away from having the feelings, that kind of initial reaction in your body. That's normal. Right now, what we were taught and what we have a hard time doing is when we feel an emotion, we don't really know how to deal with that emotion in a healthy way without hurting ourselves or hurting someone else. And so and, and emotions, I like to like talk about them they're like water. They need to ebb and flow. They need to push and pull, not stay stuck in a place. And like think about water when it just stays stuck in like a lake or it gets all like gross and like and like algae and all kind of like gross and and right and that's what happens in our bodies when we just try to keep the emotions and keep them stuck like it eats away at us from the inside it molds our internal systems yeah now the other thing that we you know you know children typically do like you know without being taught um they do pretty naturally. Um, we, we have to be aware of is that they'll take their emotions and also as adults do it in different ways. We take our emotions and instead of keeping them stuck, which say that that's not something we should do, we put them on other people. We attack other people with them, right? Maybe it's in the form of hitting or biting or pushing or yelling or name calling or blaming, but it's all... I have an emotion in my body and I don't know how to deal with that. I don't know how to deal with it. I feel uncomfortable with this and I need to discharge it somehow, some way out, out. Right. And yeah, we do we don't want it to be stuck in our body, but the way, but we also want to discharge it in a way that it's not hurting someone else or ourselves where it's not causing, it's not hurt, causing harm to other people like the hitting and the shaming and the kicking, biting and all, and all those things. Right. Yeah. And we will very much, you know, denounce 
children for like the hitting and kicking and, and biting, but we lash out in a similar way. Maybe it's through the yelling or through punishments or their shame, calling them bad or whatever. But it all comes because we don't know how to deal with our own feelings. Yeah. Right. And so instead of that, instead, one first being aware that you're having an emotion, you're having a feeling, and to acknowledge that and to to just first be aware of it because a lot of times what happens is we're not really aware of it and we just kind of just become the emotion and we act out our anger and you know you know people get hurt and we end up apologizing or feeling bad that we did something out of line with our values but instead acknowledge what we're feeling express what we're feeling take a deep breath and, and take some time too, because this, you know, really what we need to do, because it, sometimes it's, especially when this is new to you, it takes time. Yeah. You know, I say stretch that reaction. Let's, we're going to have the reaction, stretch it out into a response. Right. And if you need to take a step back, you know, you need to not say anything for a moment so that you can actually respond and reactions kind of uh, that un. Uh, thought about like first it happens in like less than a second a lot of the times that we do unconsciously that unconscious action that can really cause a lot of harm just like that toddler who has to get their toy back that's practically what we're doing what we want to do is we want to stretch that out to a thoughtful action which takes us acknowledging our emotion breathing acknowledging that we have a choice in how we handle this and you know, and, and before you take action, start to try to regulate yourself. Do I need, you know, am, am, am I hungry? Do I need to do some physical activity? Do I need But it's to- so hard. <laughs> it's it is. so hard. I think because we've seen our parents just instantaneously react to that we've internalized that as well as like, that's the way you can process your feelings. That's the way to get it out. That's the way to alleviate yourself. I feel like so many parents, like in the moment, they're like, I I can't, how do I get to the pause? How do I get to the calm? Yeah. So yeah. How do I get to the pause? Right. And I said, step zero is knowing your triggers. Yeah. Knowing, you know, doing the work ahead of time when you're, you know, either reflective work uh, from, you know, the time that you just, you just blew up, which again, mistakes are an opportunity for learning. Mistakes yeah. are an essential part of the learning process. So a lot of times without you doing that thing, you're you blowing up or whatever you did, there wouldn't have been opportunity for you to be reflective on that and to learn, ah, that's my trigger. Yeah. Okay. I need to pay attention to when I'm in situations and that trigger is starting to come up. Is it spitting? Is it hitting? Is it, you know, them ignoring you? Is it, uh, you repeating yourself? Is it them talking back? Like first thing is being aware of your triggers because if you're not aware of it, it's going to be hard to take any kind of conscious action. You're going to be reacting unconsciously. Um, So the first thing I say, step number zero is be aware aware of your triggers and already when you're starting to go in that situation start your breathing ahead of time right, right? start <laughs> regulating your body ahead of time and be at least be aware of your state right because if you're already you know and it might not even have anything to do with your child it might be because something's happening at work or coming you know but maybe something 
you're coming from a toxic work environment. It might be because might be because you had a conversation with an in-law or, you know, or or maybe even a brother or sister where you felt a little shamed. And so like you kind of went down and you're in the, the lower centers of your brain and you're struggling. You might be hungry. There's, you know, a lot of things could you might be tired. <laughs> yeah. It's that's you're a for sure tired. Thing, right. <laughs> you're probably tired. Right? You're for sure tired. Um, you know, being, be aware of these things because it is going to be harder yeah. to offer empathy when you're in survival mode. It's yeah, just harder definitely. to access that part of your brain. You just, yeah. you just don't, and it makes sense when you're in survival mode and, you know, our, 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 our brains are a lot older than our society. Right. And so, uh, when we're kind of in a survival mode where it's like the lion is staring down at us. Right. And it makes sense when we're in survival mode that empathy is probably not the best skill to use when a lion is, you know, chasing you down or staring. Right. And so, but, but this is like, we look at our, our toddler, Right. As that line, our brain still registers as a, as a real threat to our life. And so we're reacting that way. And so just being aware and being conscious yeah. going into it and, and some mantras too. what's your mo- what's your favorite mantra? Oh, so one that I I absolutely like just use all the time and it's just such a great reminder is that, you know, children aren't giving you a hard time. They're having a hard time. Now, another one that I use would mistakes happen, right? When, you know, the milk is spilled or the, the carpet is as is, is messed up, it's got poop on it. <laughs> you know, that thing you told them not to do, they ended up doing it. And, you know, the consequences of their actions, of, you know, reared its ugly head and we both got to deal with it now. What I say in my head, head is it happened, can't change it. Oh, I like that because, one. Because I can't go back in time and unspill no. the milk. I right? know. But right? I can control how I respond in the moment. I love that. And what I do now from here. Yeah, right? happen, and can't I, change it. Yeah. And I can use, you know, that's also really helpful data for me to use. And, you know, what I'm going to teach, you know, next time, right? Conflict, these mistakes are opportunities for learning. Yeah. Central part of the learning process. I think that's one of the big things I hear a lot. And I always think as a mom too, like this happened. What can I do now? Like, what am I going to do to make sure this doesn't happen again? And I'm, I'm wondering if there's a place like to flip our thinking around that, like, Am I really trying to make sure this doesn't happen again? Is that my goal in parenting or is my goal in parenting to figure out why did this happen? Mm. Why are we here where we're at? Why did the kid come in past curfew? Why did they not put the dishes in the dishwasher? Why did they hit their brother and sister? And if I would love to be, have that mind shift for people too. And yeah. if, I think your mantra really plays into that. Yeah. You know, and I, and I think, of, you know, talking pretty broadly, I think what needs aren't met? How can I help them meet them? How can I teach them to meet their own needs? And what skills are they lacking? Yeah. Right. Um, and, you know, you ask yourselves better questions, you get better answers. Right. Right. When you tell your brain, you say to your brain, you know, how can I get them to stop such and such? 
our brain will come up with answers and about all the list of coercive things that like we've ever experienced or seen to try to get a behavior change. And you Or know, even like, in like connected parenting, people are like, well, I came with play. Well, I did special time. Well, I did, I did all the things you told me to do and my kid's still having the tantrum. Yeah. But they're always going to have the tantrum. Yeah. And, and, and the goal is it now, now, Often a lot of, you know, advice that I give might result a natural consequence of it might be less tantrums or tantrums that don't lie, that that don't last as long. But, you know, really what you're trying to do is your, your end goal is you want them to learn to work through their feelings in a healthy way. And yourself, right? right? I mean, I think too, the end goal is how can I you know, not have this tantrum affect me as much as it did six weeks ago when I first started. Like, does yeah. the, is the tantrum unwinding me completely or am I able to stay centered? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that goal is, yeah, we need our own personal goals <laughs> yeah. and improvement so that we can actually meet those goals. And so that we can be the guide in yeah. teaching them because if the child is having a hard time managing their emotions and responding to things that trigger them in a way that is productive and effective and healthy, then we need that skill too. Yeah, right? yeah. It's not like, how can we expect, <laughs> you know, as, as an adult with a fully formed brain, how can we expect a child to master a skill that we're still struggling with? Yeah, no right? way. Yeah. There's no way. Yeah, that's not a realistic expectation. Are you looking for ways to parent without yelling or threatening? Do you crave to understand connection and how to use it in everyday practice with your children? Is remaining calm a challenge and staying away from shame hard? I can be helpful. I've been there and I've also helped so many parents overcome their parenting challenges with my one-on-one programs of either six, eight, or 10 weeks. We dive into what's specifically difficult in your own family, and I tailor ways to help you remedy them using connection instead of conventional parenting methods. Go to www.peaceandparentingla.com forward slash private hyphen sessions and find out more about my private one-on-one courses. I'd love to see you there. What about the Sea Guide Trust? Will you tell us about it? Yes. So... This is, you know, kind of like the approach that I kind of always used and it's been really helpful for me. And and I'm going to talk about this in the context of parenting, um, the context of children and childhood, but understand what I'm about to say. It is applicable to humans in general. And what we traditionally have a tendency to do is to just guide people, to just guide children, especially children. You know, we have, you know, decades of wisdom um, that we want to bestow upon these little humans. And if they just listen to us, then everything will be good. Life will be good and there'll be no problems. (laughs) There's a problem in that. You know, the, the problem is 
when, you know, we try to guide a person, a child without first seeing them, it's like trying to guide them in the dark. We're trying to like reach out to them, but we're not really connecting with them. We're missing them all the time. Um, And so our guidance is falling on deaf ears. It's not actually reaching them. It's not actually connecting with them because we haven't seen them yet. But when we see them, take the time to pause and to see them. And often sometimes this takes seeing the situation and seeing ourselves, it's illuminating, right? And we can actually, once we actually see them, we can actually reach out to them and connect with them. And our our guidance can be way more effective because we're actually reaching them. Now there's a compounding thing that happens here when we see children, when we see people. When a person feels seen, they're way more willing to go along with you on your journey to take the guidance that you have to offer. Right. And also double little benefit being seen is also just healing, right. Just to be, feel seen and understood. We all want to feel seen and understood by people. I'm going to get practical with you. Okay. Um, And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to get practical with you. uh, And then I'm going to tell you a story as an example. Right. So, uh, super practical. I'm going to give you a script, but don't use it. I always say, here's a script. Don't use it because a lot of times people take the scripts and I they know. get robotic. And yeah, it can be helpful when you're in a survival state to reach to something that you know and you can say, and that's all well and good. But we really want to get to a place where we can take in the, the, the scripts and, and understand the overall approach of what that script is, is trying to communicate and internalize it and then make it our own and, yes. and make it come from us. That's ultimately that. what we want to do. Yes. Uh, so here's the script. Don't use it. Um, Fair. I'm not using it. it. <laughs> you want it next time, right? You want it to play with the Legos next time. Ask for a return. You want it to pour the milk by yourself. Next time, ask to pour the milk. You wanted to get my attention. Next time, tap me on the shoulder. Uh, I'll do one more. Um, you want it to play with your brother or so-and-so. Yes. I'm say, can I play with you? Love right? it. And so that's real practical. And now let, let, let's adjust a little bit because again, make it yourself. I might be more likely to say, you were trying to, right? Instead of you wanted, ah, you were trying to. And it's all about seeing the person first, right? And seeing what they were trying to do, right? Ah, you were trying to, okay, got it. And then the next part is next time, right? And that's where your guidance piece comes in. They'll be way more likely to take your guidance after you understood what they were trying to do when we've gotten the problem out there in the open. Yes. Next time, you know, all the things I just gave the examples for next time, next time, ask for ask, help when yes. you want the milk on the, you know, on the ledge. Right. And that's going to be way more effective than how many times I've told you, you should know better, you know, <laughs> ne- ask for help next time. Right. By the time you're giving them the guidance they're not even this, they're in defensive mode because, you know, they feel attacked because they don't feel seen and feel like, you know, feel judged yeah. because we haven't taken the time to actually see and understand them. Now I'm going to give you a story where I use this in a classroom. There were, there were two kids sitting at the table playing with some Legos. And another child walks up and he grabs the bin of Legos and he starts to kind of pull it away. The other children was like, oh, H, no, you're not going to let that happen. And they grab the bucket and they pull it back. 
And so it becomes this little pulling match back and forth. Um, and, you know, it's Legos and a bin, loud noise, little, you know, the child's about to hit. And so we intervene and we say, well, you know, we intervene. I pull the child who entered, who was trying to interplay and grab the Legos off to the side. And I said, you wanted to play with all the Legos by yourself. Like you wanted to take the whole bin of Legos and, and, and keep them to yourself. And he said, no, I wanted to play by myself. And then I said, oh, you wanted to play by yourself. Next time, grab, get a handful of Legos from the bin and take them to the table or to another table and you can build with them there. And if you want more, just go and get another handful and bring them to the table. And so, you know, this is, but it makes sense, right? Like he had a desire, he had a need and he wanted to get that need met and he didn't, couldn't figure out how. And so he just took all the Legos. Yeah. Like this malicious, like we always want to conjure in our mind that they're doing it on purpose. They're unkind. They're bad. He actually was just operating in his little head. Yeah. And that's actually the third part of, of the sea guy trust, the trust part. And that kind of plays into it of, you know, and that's trusting that everyone's trying their best. Yeah. Right. You as a parent, you're trying your best. You, you know, as a teacher, trying the kids, they're trying their best. Now they may not be at their best. You may not be at your best, oh, no. but you often we're, we're trying our best with the skills, resources, knowledge we have access to in that moment. Yeah. And so I like you know, that. I, you know, a lot of times, you know, a lot of, you know, some adults, you know, especially if they have that trigger or they feel like, you know, and the child said, no, I wanted to play by myself. They might've gotten triggered by that and not have been able to really hear what the child was trying to communicate and say, don't talk back to me. Well, you shouldn't be, and just focus back on the, right. well, you need to ask next time. Don't do that. Right. And just really miss what the child was trying to communicate. Yeah. Um, and then likely that guidance would not have been as helpful. And like the child that. went over there. This is a you know relatively new scale. This is like three, this is like three or four year old classroom. Well, to a new skill. So I'm watching as he's going over there and learning, learning this, they're trying, you know, trying to practice the skill. And the two kids at the table, they're kind of like sitting there, like they're like cautious. They're like, oh, is he going to take it? We're ready to grab this Lego bin again. <laughs> he comes over, he scoops the, the Legos, he takes them to the table and he plays and he plays with them. So and I then I go over and I encourage him. I'm like, like you did it. Like you grabbed uh, a handful of Legos so you could play by yourself. Right. Um, that was really helpful. I like how you didn't do it for him either. You didn't say like, here, let me get you some Legos and set you up here by yourself. You encouraged him to do it himself, which is like good self-reliance and, you know, skill building. And that's so important too, part of that. Yeah, exactly. That, you know, the goal is really to teach them the skills to navigate. So definitely they can navigate life on their own without the support of an adult. Now they're not there yet. (laughs) They definitely need our support a lot. Right. And depending on where they're at in their development depends on how much support they need and how do we know where they're at in their development by really observing and seeing them and noticing them and knowing that they're trying their best that, you know, just because they did something, they were able to do, you know, do a skill one day. It's not that they master the scale right we're ongoing right. <laughs> seeing is an ongoing process yeah um and yeah they may have been able to do it really well one day maybe another day they were hungry or they were agitated by something that happened a minute ago or just like us like yeah exactly right <laughs> if i'm hungry um, it's all it's forget it i'm not doing yeah. any sort of good parenting yeah and you notice too and when i went to encourage him 
Um, I didn't do kind of the blanket good jobs, right. right? And putting the approval, like the focus on my approval of what he did. Right. I put the focus on that you did it. Yeah. Focus on what he actually did. Yeah. Um, so that he can kind of remember that and feel good about it. And that's more, that's, that's, you know, language that's going in, in his head that he can kind of use next time. Okay. Totally. I can just grab the Legos. And that's a different way to encourage children to try to, you know, focus on building more of that intrinsic motivation, focusing more on helping them use their internal compass as opposed to always looking to others to figure out what they should do and what's right for them, because that's not going to work for life. Right. And, you know, a a lot of people figure that out and the, you know, we call it a quarter life crisis We call it a midlife crisis. And usually these things happen when there's like a big event, maybe a death or a pandemic. And that forces us to stop. Why, what am I doing? Like, I, what am I doing for me? Is this really what I want to do? Yeah. And, you know, we start to realize like I've been going through the motions, just doing what everyone else has told me to do throughout my whole life. I never figured out or even asked myself, what did I want? You know, what do I care about? And now I'm halfway through my life or a quarter way through my life. And I feel stuck and I don't know how to, you know, even get back to my internal compass or even I'm so disconnected from my internal compass that like, I don't even know how to use it if I did stop using these external validators. Yeah. And that feeds into our whole, I mean, we can go on and on, but perfectionism and and shame and all of that stuff. Wait, wait, where can people, can people get this Seek Guide Trust? Do you have like a guide or do you have like a, or it's just... Mr. So Has. It is a part of the book that I'm writing. Oh, right so, congratulations. Um, yes. I'm I'm in the process of writing this book and you will definitely get access to it. And it's yes. there's will be a lot more stories and 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 so much more detail than what we can go into this podcast and great uh, is it do you have an expected date or are you still just deep in the thick of things i'm deep in the thick of things great. and you know the great thing about like kind of writing it is that i get to you know i get to practice it and then you know in, in a variety of with children with adults and amazing and i get to go back and i get to talk about it you know, I have a decent social media following. This is yeah, you also <laughs> something that I, you know, if you kind of look back and or kind of listen to the story that I talked about, kind of how I got on social media, it started with seeing, right? It started with seeing people and, and then the guidance kind of came after. And even as I, and even as I decide with videos I'm going to create or, or, or engage with people online, I still try to stick to this framework of see guy trust. Yeah. Um, whether I'm talking to someone who's three or I'm talking to someone who's 90. Is this your uh, title, see guy trust? Well, we got to wait on that. I okay. Can't. Well, I'm putting my two cents in. If that sounds like a good title to me. Well, you got to have me back on and we'll talk about it. Yeah, we'll talk about it when you get it out. Or if you need a reader, a beta reader, I'm always around. Okay, I'll keep that in mind. Yeah, definitely. I just finished a book and um, it's coming out soon. So oh, fun, fun. be on the lookout. Yeah. What's, what's the name of it? Unpunished. Oh, fun. You know, you want to talk about punishment since we're like. Oh, yeah, here. let's do it real quick and then we'll uh, sign off. What do you want to talk about, Mr. Chaz? Yeah. Uh, we were having this, and I don't want to steer away from it. I think it would be just yeah, a fun conversation to have. Uh, we were kind of talking about timeouts a little bit before we got on. Um, and there's a lot of 
there are a lot of thoughts and opinions around um, timeout. There's a lot of research around it. And, you know, what a lot of people lean on is uh, that, you know, timeouts aren't harmful. And that's like the big thing that people, you know, talking about or like whenever they're, you know, defending timeouts, like, well, they're not harmful. They're not harmful. They're not harmful. But I rarely hear people talk about how they're helpful. And, you know, before we, we even go in, to timeouts, I generally don't even like talking about these you know, strategies until we talk more about what it is, right? Because I said, I've, you've been, you've been, I've been talking about timeouts for like two minutes, right? And of your listeners, there's, there's a, a, let's say there's a thousand listeners, there's probably 900 different ideas of right, what right. a timeout is, right. right? And so a lot of times what people do is, you know, therapists will talk about like, you know, timeouts and they'll, in their mind, they might be thinking of like the clinical uh, timeouts. And then most people will hear and listen to it and they will think about of timeouts of how our parents use them or how, you know, it's been shown on, you know, TV and very so some very popular shows that I won't name right now, but we all know the most popular parenting show to ever really come out by, yes. uh, uh, you know, where the star is a particular nanny. Like that is, that is what timeouts the general public look at as timeouts. Yeah. Instead and let's be clear of, about the research really quickly too, while we're defining timeout. Yeah. Really quickly, the research says, and it says that it's a last resort in the, in the hierarchy of punishment and or intervention, and that it is also to be done in a very quick, immediate way, and that it is to be used along with other quote unquote positive parenting methodology. So the research is very complicated, right? And so how much other positive parenting methodology are you using with your children? Are you using timeout as a last resort? And if so, then yes, it causes no harm. That's the only way in which that it, it can be used to according to the research. So I don't know who's using it like that. Even the psychologist who I've heard speak about it, one psychologist in particular said that she uses timeout when her children hit each other, that that's a, that's a hard stop in her house. And that as soon as somebody hits somebody and everybody knows that child who hit is going to timeout, that doesn't feel like the prescribed way in which we are supposed to use timeout. Yeah. And let's think about like, you know, let's think about what we are communicating. You know, let's also think about how this this typically goes because, you know, I've seen it be used in a variety of ways. And, I've, you know, I talk to people all the time about how they use it and what happened, ha what happens. And really, it's a form of punishment where the focus becomes the punishment. Right. All the focus becomes on the punishment and there's little to no focus on the learning. And even if you know, I say, well, afterwards we talk about it and we do the thing, but often the child is still focused on the punishment and not and, and you know, not doing the punishment. There's ways to keep everyone safe without forcing a child into isolation. Yeah. And what right? does that likely, do to a child? Right. Right. And, and, you know, and what we do here, like what's really like 
you know, in, in what you just described is we don't hear anything about what actually happened, well, like right. what the actual problem that the child had that they had difficulty solving. You know, the the thing about punishments, yes, it can have an effect, you know, it affects the child. But what I find, I think the most profound effect that punishments have and when I say punishment, let's get their consequences that are unrelated to what happened and, and often to try to make the child you know, feel bad for what they did. What that does is that I see a, a big change in what that does to the adults Yeah, because too. they stop looking for answers. Well, right? and they it also become hardened. I feel like when I was using punishments, I became hardened. Like I had a certain idea about who my child was and that those kind of reinforced that idea. Yeah. It's like you did this thing. There's no, I'm not going to take it, you know, hard That's it. I, go to your room, right? There's no right. figuring out. There is no seeing of the child. It doesn't matter. And you know, the, a child also often feels, you know, misunderstood in these. And sometimes we as adults miss stuff all the time when it comes to kids. Yeah, especially um, in the sibling thing. Like the sibling relationship has gone on for however old these siblings are, right? And there's constant like rupture and repair and retaliation and all kinds of things going on. But when we only enter when the child's been hit, we've missed a lot of the story. And so it's not fair necessarily to be sending that child to time out. What about the other kid that said, neener, 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 I have your thing or I have your toy and they're provoking them. Like, so what are we really reinforcing in the timeout? Yeah. The other, one other thing that I want to say before I forget is that the research also shows that timeout works. And when we say works, it extinguishes the behavior. But at what cost? And so at we have to be cost. very, very, very careful with this research that we're relying so heavily on for our parenting. We have to be very careful. Yeah. And, you know, and the question I would ask is what skills did we teach there, if any? And I, you know, I'm going going back because I know like I've used punishments, too. And I know that, you know, I know how it feels to use punishment, have that. Yes. Yeah that tool and our tool belt and it tends to really put blinders on us adults and really create a lot of missed opportunities so there's probably an opportunity and then when that conflict happened when that child hit there was probably an opportunity for learning there yeah but we totally missed we missed and it instead we punish and force them into isolation alone to think about you know, they're not really thinking about how to solve the problem. They're just thinking about how mad they are and how unfair this is or whatever it is. But we, and then we come in and we're like, okay, you've calmed down now. We're just focused on the behavior. And we also got to be careful, like, of, of, of just focusing on the behavior because the behavior is just a symptom of what's happening. It's like trying to go to, you know, the, like, like, so we have a headache, right? And we're just, we're taking Advil, we're taking Advil, we're taking Advil, just trying to, trying to, you know, get our headache away and try to reduce, you know, reduce our symptoms. Now I I get like, sometimes in a moment you need, you want to kind of reduce a symptom just to create a little bit of space so that you can actually do the work, the real work of actually problem solving. But that Advil 
isn't going to remove if that person has a tumor like yeah. a problem that's consistently causing that headache it doesn't matter how much advil you take that headache is going to constantly come back and come back and come back and if we want to actually solve the problem and yes consequentially uh uh, reduce or eliminate the behavior in the long run, we got to do the work to do the surgery to remove the tube, to, yeah. to remove the tumor. First thing we have to do is to recognize that there is, you know, metaphorical tumor. There is actually a problem to be solved. Right. Um, and part of that is, again, seeing children that they're trying their best. If, if we really saw the child who hit as they're trying their best with their, with their resources that they have access to in the moment, then we start to ask ourselves different questions like, okay, well, why didn't normally, you know, they are able to use their words or, you know, they're able to navigate that, or maybe normally they're not. So what skills are they missing here that we can focus on, yeah. right? That, that we can teach and we can practice and I can model for yeah. them that we can role play that we read books about that. We can go through this whole, that we can teach. Yeah. Right. So that way they have a skill that they can use as opposed to resorting to the behavior because they don't have any other skills, just like you as a parent. Right. Who's resorting to timeout because you may not have, you know, other skills or, you know, that's what? all that you've seen or resorting. So it comes full circle. It comes, always comes back to, to the parents, need the skills to teach. Yeah. The skills. And I think that's an important part to not forget is that sometimes we are totally dysregulated and we want to avoid saying or doing something that we, will regret. And I know for me, I take a time out for myself. I say, Oh, guess what? And I don't put it on the kid. Like you've made me so mad. I have to leave or whatever. I try to say, guess what? I got to go to the bathroom. I got to go potty. I'm going to be right back. And then we're going to talk about this, but I have to go potty because I don't want to get to a place where I'm doing or saying something I regret. And sometimes we get, we see red. And that's a legitimate place that we get that we might not be able to manage. And you have every right to walk away. You really do. And that that's a better use. I think of our parenting, you know, tools is to walk ourselves away as opposed to isolating our kid. Yeah. 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 And really lashing out at your kid and whether it is the isolation or it's spanking or it's yelling or whatever it is. Um, And isn't that what we want to teach that child who hit, right. That right. there's a, a better way that yeah. we can, so that we can handle our feelings or solve this problem that yeah. doesn't involve hurting someone else or ourselves. Yeah. How definitely. can we expect the child to do that if we can't do it ourselves? That's so good. Let's stop right there. Cause that was a beautiful statement. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I loved having you on. You have such a great perspective. I can't wait to read your book because I've already designated myself a beta reader. Um, <laughs> I'm <laughs> I, keeping you in mind. Thank you. And I know you're going to mull over my thoughts on your title because I'm just going to curate your whole thing right now. Um, <laughs> but I appreciate you being here and diving into this great parenting work. And we're so lucky to have you in our ether. So thank you yeah. so much. Happy to be here and hope it helps. Okay. Thanks for joining the Peace and Parenting Podcast. I'll see you guys next time.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.